Nelson, you probably noticed that our intro was a little different today. It was. It was. Uh, it was still relatively uplifting, but at the same time, it wasn't uh, the normal catchy dun 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 that people have probably grown used to. And didn't hear didn't it, hear Freud uh, uh, and Carl Jung spatting back and forth. Yeah, and sadly, I think uh, I think we born. I know we both know why. Yeah, we've lost um, one of our best friends and one of our biggest supporters of. Put him on the couch. Uh, a gentleman who I've known personally for over 25 years. Someone who's been a friend, confidant, mentor to me most of my uh, collegiate career. And and a person for whom I know has meant a lot to you, Nelson, over yeah. these past 10, yeah. 15 years. Yeah, when I started working at Cape Fear Community College, we were told to uh, to reach out to people that we thought were talented, that we thought we could learn from and we could grow from. And uh he was somebody who was actually recommended to me um, as somebody I might want to visit with and learn from. So Yeah, of course, we're talking, ladies and gentlemen, about our friend and colleague, Mr. Bob Brennan, Robert Brennan to many. Mentor, friend, animal lover, uh, just an all-around incredible human being. Mr. Bob Brennan had been on the show, I guess, three or four times uh, over the past couple of months. He was not only a friend of ours, but a friend to the show. I received many messages saying, you know, who is this guy talking about animals? Who is this guy talking about this disease, cystic fibrosis? Uh, and I said, well, he's he's a colleague of ours. He's a longtime friend, and he's kind of a hobby podcaster. He'd, he'd sort of um, really gotten into this as of yeah. late. He even purchased uh, a new microphone for the studio. He wanted to leave That's his right. mark. The one Mr. Bowyer here is, is using... Uh, Mr. Brennan actually purchased that for the for the podcast. Well, you know he uh, he was he was a, a very big proponent of of what we do and what we were doing, and uh, I know we were big supporters uh, of his. He yeah. was uh, a big asset. In fact, the whole concept behind our first uh, series, the Good Life series, um, really kind of came into focus when we were talking about Bob and some of his challenges and you know i i loved his line when we were talking about health where he said you know you, in order to have a good life you what was it what first it? have to have a life you have to have a life and yeah. you know he it, it's funny because in, in many ways he he never had good health no never he, but you he, wouldn't necessarily know it no you wouldn't I mean, he was a curmudgeon no, in some ways and he was he a was cynic a in other curmudgeon. ways but i think he'd be the first one to say look i mean i'm lucky just to be alive yeah, uh, he, and he lived that life. He he, he lived he um, as if he were lucky to be alive, right? He didn't really put off for tomorrow, put off for next week. He was really trying to live day to day and and do things in the moment. And perhaps that had a lot to do with his upbringing. Certainly, a lot of it had to do with his disease. Um, so yeah, if you yeah. haven't already figured out, ladies and gentlemen, sadly, our our uh, friend of the show and and my friend and colleague of twenty five years and Nelson's for at least the last fifteen. Mr. Robert J. Brennan has has passed. Yeah. Um, he rather, left this world, suddenly. left this realm about one week ago. Um, he died at in New Hanover Regional Hospital, Nor, Nor, Novant Hospital. Now, to to those of you who, um, well, you know, somebody was asking me. Um, we we were talking about Bob. I mean, why would Bob keep working? Why would Bob yeah. want? 
why why wouldn't he retire and go and just go out right and, and you know I just kept thinking man you just don't get Bob I guess because he he did love what he did he loved yeah, he loved teaching he and sharing loved, and learning from others he loved to teach he yeah. loved academics and you know everybody gets frustrated with this that or the other yeah. thing but you know when it comes to education I think every teacher if, if you ever get to a point where you find yourself not loving that 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 feeling of the classroom the yeah. feel of the the lecture or the, the the feedback from the students oh, the, the feedback faces. of the students yeah. if, if you ever 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 find yourself um without that that feeling and that love you need to leave because you're not yeah. helping them your students and you're not helping yourself and I don't think Bob for as curmudgeonly as Bob was I don't think for one second in his he life ever he lost ever that. lost it 100 always had it yeah I know he did it because he loved it there are people who've questioned his um commitment to teaching I know that as of late last couple of years ever since his double lung transplant he's probably missed more work than the average person. But to that, I would say, you know, why did he keep coming back? Why did he keep um, um, working on his craft so much? Why did he keep coming in doing these podcasts? Why did he keep reading books? I mean, the guy was all in when it comes to sharing his knowledge, giving away his love of history in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think there's any question about where his motivations uh, lie. Well, let's do this, because... What we do on put them on the couch, and what we do in our lives as as educators is tell stories. Yeah. Um, ultimately, mm-hmm. right? That's how we impart knowledge. And why don't you offer uh, to our listeners, and I'll do the same. Uh, just one of your favorite Bob stories, one of your favorite Bob memories. I think one of the things I respect and love, and will for always for always will remember about Bob is how he made it okay to engage in academic pursuits during his off time, during his holidays, during his vacations. I remember when I first met him 25 years ago, he was traveling to Europe uh, on his summer off. And I asked him, you know, where was he going to go? And he mentioned that he would go to these historical sites, some of these sites that could only be thought of as macabre almost. He he wanted to go to Auschwitz. He wanted to go to some of these places where people were tortured, right? And I asked him, you know, wouldn't it be better, wouldn't you be better served if you took a real vacation? And he said, look, you know, this is a real vacation for me. Um, I enjoy learning. I enjoy teaching. I want to be reminded of these events that have happened both in my lifetime and before. And not only as a student of history, but just as a human being, I don't want to close my eyes to it. He said that, you know, vacations don't have to be Disney World. You don't have to check out of reality to go on vacation. He said you can you can go on vacations and learn. You can go on vacations and look at the world through the prism of reality. And I I just, you know, I had never thought about a vacation in that way. I always thought vacations were to escape reality. I thought vacations were to do something that you loved. um, And and I guess work had to be something that you didn't love as much. Yes, you take a vacation from it. But I can tell you, Bob loved his work so much 
That was his vacation. That, that was also his vacation. So even when he wasn't teaching history, even when he wasn't, you know, talking about history in a classroom, what was he doing with his time off? Going out into the world and trying to get a more visceral, more full sensory experience of it. You know, yeah. he was not just reading it and teaching it. He was going out and trying to sense it with all the five senses, see it, smell it, taste it, touch it. He was going to go to Auschwitz so that he could come back into the classroom and I guess be more authentic. And I don't know. I just really appreciated that about him. Yeah, I did too. You know? I did. Well, you know, it, it was, I think in a sense, a way for him to escape his personal reality. Sure. Right. I mean, it was a way to forget about all of the personal struggles that he had to deal with and to do what he does best. Yeah, know? born with cystic fibrosis in the yeah. 60s in New Jersey. Guy couldn't, uh, I mean, I know there were times when, before he had his double lung transplant, um, and he was telling me, you know, I only take in 10% of the oxygen that you do. Yeah. And I'm like, what is it like? What is like literally? I said, "What does that mean? What does that feel like?" He says, "Like breathing through a straw," mm -hmm. and I can't imagine being able to impart. Not, I mean, what what we do? I get tired. I get sure. out of breath. I mean, it's imagine. Look, it is not a physically demanding job no. to teach, but with full lung capacity. With full lung capacity, but could you imagine doing that day in day out for no. twenty eight years? No. With and, and most of those years, you were. At, Less than 20% lung capacity. And, and people have asked me, they're like, you, do you think he just gave up on teaching? You know, he missed a lot of days. You know, he, he may have not kept his grade book up as carefully as he used to. And I'm asking myself, well, after 28 years, how many classes would you miss if you were in perfect health? How many times would you prep a class if you're in perfect health? This guy, after 27, 28 years, he could have retired. He could have taken disability. He could have done a lot of things to just check out of the classroom and probably earn more money for doing it, particularly if he'd gone on disability. But this guy was adamant about continuing. He wanted to finish the semester. He wanted to finish these years. He loved teaching. Yeah, he did. He absolutely loved it. And even though he had sick leave, even though he could have taken you know, extended leave, he had disability um, insurance, he tried his absolute best. He was still teaching, you know, and going in and having fluid drained off of his chest every week, liters of fluid every week. He was driving back and forth to his brother's house in Charlotte and then back and forth to Raleigh to do university to have testing and things cut out of his body and more testing. All the while, all the while, continuing to stay um, as relevant and as strong for his students as he could. Yep. I mean... And when asked, and I'm going to have an opportunity for people to call into the show in the near future to talk about Bob in the same way you and I are doing it. Uh, what did he mean to you? What's what's a story you want to share about him? But he was still doing this. He was still motivating. He was still touching students' lives right there up until the end. Yep. Right there up until the end. So. Well, um, when I got hired as a part-time instructor, that was yeah. something that was asked of me by our our former uh, department chair, Robert sure. Puckett. So go, you know, these are, t these are some people that you might want to listen to and learn from. And so I asked them both, hey, can I come and learn from you? And um, Bob was the best storyteller I've ever seen. 
Yeah. Um, he was giving a lecture, which I still use, not material, but I mean, well, I, I learned from it. So I didn't, but he was giving a lecture about the Roman Empire. And I think uh, if Bob had an expertise, and I'm sure he had many, but I think he was absolutely in his element. Um, because look, history is a big discipline. It's not like we can learn everything or know everything. And so we all have our, our areas that we like better or more versed in. And Bob was just an absolute genius when it came to the Roman Empire, yeah. and in particular the Julio-Claudian line of early emperors. And he's telling these stories, and it's just like, I, I, this is what I compared to. Did you ever watch a... Um, you ever watch a, a big grizzly bear jump in and grab a fish? Yeah, of course. And you ever see like a, a border collie herding horses? Yeah. And they don't know why they're herding horses because they're border collies. They're, they're just doing it. They're it's just almost do- like they're bred to do it, right? It's what they're doing. It's mm-hmm. watching somebody do what they were made to do. Yeah. And there was just such a beauty to it. And, and an ease. And an ease to it. And I walked out and I'm like, why the hell would my new department chair want me to learn from that like how can you learn yeah. from a border collie right yeah, yeah. how can and you're never going to be that good at hurting i'm not going mean, to be I'm not, I'm not that good yeah. at that and you must uh, be born with that that's not and, something you can train and become right. good at yeah well i asked him about you know how did you do that and he said look every every person who gets into this has their own abilities their own ways to connect their own um their own unique skills mm-hmm. and these are mine and you'll you'll find yours you'll have yours um and i it took me a long time to realize that i think a big part of that skill even though it was very natural yeah was baked in or was was based in knowledge yeah and the acquisition of knowledge it seemed like it was just coming from him because he had learned so much. He'd studied so much that it was just, it had become, that knowledge had become a part of him. And mm-hmm. his unique way of sharing it was what made him great. But his acquisition of the knowledge was what got him in the door in the first place. Yeah. And he was a really hard worker. He studied hard. He worked really, really hard to mm-hmm. be that good. Yeah. It was natural in some respects but you know if, if he wasn't a historian he could have been a comedian or something sure. else because he's a great storyteller mm-hmm. but all that knowledge had to be there and that takes yeah. a lot of work yeah and so we've lost uh quite a bit of institutional knowledge when we lost mr robert brennan yes yes and uh i want to just give a shout out to some of his um relatives and childhood friends um randall brennan if you're listening man I want you to know I'm thinking about you right now, and I'd love to have you on the show in the near future, talking about you know what it was like growing up with Bob and you know what what you've lost. Uh, Steve, um, one of Bob's best friends from childhood onward, uh, lives in Indianapolis, Indiana now. I'd like to maybe give Steve an opportunity to come on and tell tell us what it's like being Bob's friend through those early formative years. Um, again. I've only known Bob for the last 25 years. When I came to Wilmington and started teaching, he he was a mentor and a friend to me, and he continued that role for the last 25 years. And um, I know that our college, and I know that me in particular, have lost a lot of 
guidance, mentorship, institutional knowledge that I don't know if it can ever be replaced. I really don't. Yeah, that that part is is hard, but um, just you know, it, for me, it's it's always the the personal part is the the hardest part. Not having a a friend who says, "Hey, is everything going good? Hey, yeah. how you doing?" I know a lot of people wouldn't think of Bob that way, but yeah. uh, if I ever had a problem or had an issue with a student, um, he was always somebody that I knew I could talk to about hey trust and how, can, have how can i your best interest in yeah, mind. how can i get through this situation you've seen it all how do you deal with this situation um and he'd come back and check hey whatever happened with that are you good yeah. with that so you know i know again it goes against the let's call it the scruff exterior sure <laughs> so, yeah but it was there it was yeah. it was very much a part of him. how could someone with so many um physical problems himself be so willing to sort of give selflessly to you like yeah how, how could he be willing to take a moment to listen to your own problems when he has so many of him of his own and yet he would yeah you know what's funny is i didn't know bob was sick until after he uh he had done all these things for me when i went to get my full-time job right he called me into his office all right i said hey I'm, i gotta do a teaching demonstration he had me present it again and again and again yeah. and again and again. And he's like, no, it's too short here. This is what they're looking for. This is what you want to say. This is how you want to sound. This is, you know, it's the material's fine, but here's how you want to communicate it in a 10-minute right. setting. And uh, when I got hired, I'm like, okay, well, I got to get to know my colleagues. And I started going out with him and uh, Missy Mathis, uh, another colleague of ours, who's, uh, left the college. But um, I... You know, went to trivia and one night Bob was like, I said, Hey, don't like, I'm pissed off. And I'm like, Why? He's like, Well, because I'm dying. I was like, I thought he was being dramatic. I'm like, What are you talking about? He's like, Yeah, I have like, I just got back from doing down like 18% lung capacity. Yeah. And I'm like, What are you talking about? He's like, Yeah, I have cystic fibrosis. I, I was really confused because I'm like, I didn't think people with cystic fibrosis lived that to long in the first Bob's place. age. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was the first time I found it. He, it's not like he went around telling people no. he was sick or anything. I mean, and when I met him, oh, my God, man, some of the pictures. Dude was ripped. Sure. Ripped. I mean, Bob was, like, really, really in good physical shape when sure. I met him. Um, so, and, and, you know, he did get back some of that, didn't he? Yeah. After the lung transplant. Yeah, he, was, yeah, he, was he a, did. He was a fitness guru. Yeah. Now, he was committed to improving himself and the lives of others in any way he could. And he worked on... Um, all of that, yeah. I think, every day throughout his entire life. There, there until the end. Again, one week um, before he died, I've got text messages from him uh, from inside the hospital, Nelson. And I'm not going to read them right now, but I think um, if we have another show, I think we got to have at least one more, a little show where we allow people to come in and tell stories, I not think just you good. and me. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd yeah. like to perhaps read a couple of those text messages uh, that he sent me just a week before he died. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Good. And uh, I think you can already imagine uh, what those text messages will be like. Uh, uh, here, here's a here's a little hint. They're not woe is me. They're not pray for me or feel sorry for me. They're not oh my god I'm dying. No, I right? wouldn't. I wouldn't expect. Uh, I would expect some piss and vinegar. <laughs> yeah. To say the that's, least. That's what I would expect. To say but the I, least. Uh, thanks for the tease. That's yeah, a, man. Well, um, yeah, I, I. Uh, 
I, I would like to echo your, your sentiments about his family and definitely thinking about his family and friends. And, uh, yeah, you know, we love you, Bob. Yeah, we love you, man. We miss you. And Robert J. Brennan will forever live on in our minds and hearts. And uh, thinking about you, Randall Brennan, Bob's brother, and Steve, uh, thinking about you, one of Bob's best friends on this earth. And uh, I think we'll play one of Bob's favorite songs uh, <laughs> on our way out today.